the people that will succeed in this world are the people who can mobilize the most and that's through peer interactions and networks rather than what they call old power Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the EdTech podcast and this latest episode of the VocTech podcast Learning Continued which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. This series is supported by UFI VocTech Trust and my name is Sophie Bailey. First up a moment to reflect on the life of Sir Ken Robinson who had a profound effect on education by stopping us in our tracks to ask why education systems are the way they are. He stressed the importance and joy of creativity and outside play in our development, and I for one am glad that he shook things up a bit. It was the highlight of some of my past work to invite him to speak in front of a packed auditorium at BET. And if you want to remind yourself of his life's work, I recommend you listen to his Desert Island Discs, and we'll pop the link to that in the show notes. But back to the podcast. In this episode, we throw back to a past recording at Reimagine Education in December 2019, where we were in pre-COVID times chatting about the power of workplace learning technology in our VocTech podcast live session. In conversation are Richard Price, the Learning Technologies Advisor for NHS Health Education England, Jacob Wern, Founder and CEO for EduMe, Joe Ludlow, the Impact Investment Director for UFI Ventures, and Catherine Woolock, Head of Innovation Engagement and Mindset at Deloitte Ventures. It's a great time to listen back into this live discussion as Reimagine Education are just opening up to new submissions from those improving teaching delivery, learning outcomes and or graduate employability and are offering $50,000 in prize funding to those who are doing it best. The process for applying is the same as last year. So you just search Reimagine Education, find the website and begin your submission free of charge. You'll have until Sunday, September the 13th at um, 23.59 UTC to finalise your application content. So definitely check that out. And don't forget that if you miss that deadline and if you're listening to this back um, after that deadline, you can still take part in the virtual Reimagine Education event later this year. Meanwhile, the session is also a timely reminder of the power of workplace learning technology as Richard Price of Health Education England has definitely been busy during the crisis as NHS workers pivot and adjust to new requirements. And EduMe have also just announced a Series A fundraise in the last few weeks off the back of increased traction during COVID as more companies rely on remote training and communication. This includes a global expansion with Uber to help them deliver COVID-related training to their drivers and with Deliveroo to train their couriers worldwide. So we're looking forward to catching up with Jacob in a future episode, but see if you can pick out some of the uh, themes that actually play out uh, during these COVID times in this recording, uh, which happened before the pandemic all came to light. So let's travel back to those simpler times. Here we are back in London at the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre in December 2019. Enjoy. Okay, great. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this live recording of the EdTech podcast. And this particular episode, which is part of our VocTech podcast series, which is kindly supported by the UFI VocTech Trust. My name is Sophie Bailey, and I'm the host and founder of the podcast. And I'd like to welcome you all here, and also thank you to Reimagine Education and to QS 
and the university partners for supporting the event and for hosting us. Um, and also for anyone listening at home, because this episode uh, is being recorded. And if you're a, a tweeter, then we use the hashtag VoxTech, this particular series. And I think I just heard that we have a few existing listeners in the audience. So anyone who listens already, if you want to pop your hands up, brilliant. So this lovely lady here said she listens while she irons, which I, I love. So if you don't listen already, then I would definitely encourage you to do so, obviously. But today we've got some brilliant guests and we're here to talk about workplace learning, technology and investment. So first off, I'd like to welcome our guests. And I know that they've battled the demands of boardroom calls, nativity plays and the National Railway Networks to be here today. So let's start off by giving them a round of applause just for coming along. But to begin, perhaps we could go along and you could just give our audience here a bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do, and, and also the kind of mission you have around the particular learning uh, goals that you have in your own organisations as well. So I'm Richard Price. I'm the Learning Technologies Advisor at Health Education England, which is part of the NHS. So we're responsible for training for all the way through from undergraduate level all the way through to retirement, everybody that works in health and care in the UK. So that's about 1.2 million people. So we've got a pretty monumental challenge. But I work in a really cool team called the Technology Enhanced Learning Team, where we look at emerging technologies and how we can support education, typically postgraduate, where we're supporting people to become part of the workplace, part of the workforce. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so I'm Catherine Woolwick. Um, I am uh, part of our uh, Deloitte Ventures team, and we are a set of innovation and ventures capabilities for our firm. And there are 18,000 people in the UK, 300,000 globally, so there's a lot of us, professional services. But I guess in terms of the learning mission, I mean, our L&D function, who I guess looks after curriculums and that type of thing, has had a huge transformation in the last couple of years. But a lot of the focus is how we create a continuous learning culture and move away from what our head of leadership curriculum talks about as a training culture to a learning culture but from an innovation ventures perspective we definitely think about the role of mindset as a skill and how we can help educate people on that rather than seeing it as something you have or you don't fantastic thank you joe um, so i'm joe ludlow i'm investment director at ufi voctech trust um, and i lead our venture investing work which is a new activity for ufi um, so we invest in companies who are developing digital technologies to help people access and progress in work and to help businesses um, improve their performance. And it's a seed stage venture fund that, that we run. My name is uh, Jacob Verne. I'm the founder and CEO of Ajimi. Ajimi is a workforce success platform. And what that means is we help companies train, communicate and engage with their workforce that's increasingly dispersed. I guess our mission as such is actually to empower a modern workforce, giving them the tools and the knowledge they require and the motivation to perform at their best. And looking inwards, what we do, because uh, we're, we're in this space, we spend quite a lot of time learning in our own organization. So setting Friday time aside, for example, for people to work on pet projects. Fantastic. So a lot of people here in the audience are most likely from traditional parts of the education sector, I've put here. Many of them will be looking at how traditional remits are bleeding into more lifelong learning or skills-based learning demands and what to do about it. So what that change means for universities or other institutions. So my first question is, how is learning different when it is set in the workplace and how is it different to university or school? So for us in healthcare, listening to some of the presentations this morning, and actually 
it's really interesting because typically learners in higher education or in schools are taken to the education, whereas we're trying to do the opposite model. We're trying to take the education to the individuals. So particularly in, in the workplace, uh, we've got a workforce that are time poor and finding time to actually do education and revalidate their skills and things is really tricky. So we have to blend that education into their working day. So we talk about sort of learning in the flow of work. So if you've got a doctor, for example, about to see a patient with sepsis, we might try and target that individual with some specific learning that's going to help them in that situation uh, around that content that's going to help them to learn in that situation. So it's a very different model. But increasingly what we're finding as well is that transition from higher education to the workplace is quite tricky. You have a lot more money in higher education than we do in sort of healthcare education, in workplace education. So how do we sort of bridge that gap? How do we make that experience seamless and a good experience for our learners so that they can continue to learn for the rest of their lives? Yeah, so I guess I also am an education governor, so I guess I can see it from that kind of fluidity. And I went to university myself, so I guess I've seen all three views. But from... What I observe being in this school place and also experience at university, a lot of the learnings are curated for you, mm. you know, and so it's not self-directed. Whereas when you get to the workplace, there is, a, there is a certain element of the kind of minimal amount of technical skills, of management skills that goes through a lot of the pathways. And I think corporates do invest heavily in learning and development. You know, uh, our firm invested 30 million, you know, the last year for 18,000 people. So we don't have the same challenges I guess as a national health service with money what our biggest challenge is actually the intrinsic motivators of why people want to learn and I think a lot of the work that I do in innovation ventures is actually people are drawn towards things that make them curious that are interesting and so that has benefited at least in and in my experience the work I do in Deloitte Ventures because actually people come to learn for a reason they don't come because they've been told to. And we very much operate on this self-directed way for people to come to us to learn. It's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's like a tension between whether you, know, you make workplace learning, VLEs or the equivalent, obligatory or something for employees to sort of do under their own uh, volition. And there's, there seems to be two models kind of rolling out at the moment. Yeah, and I think the word that I guess organisations use is the employee value proposition and a big part of why anyone would want to work with you is how much you're going to invest in them as an individual so I think there's the minimum or a fundamental level that you need to offer for anyone to want to come and work for you whether it's an investment in a technical training or a leadership program but then also having the option and value of being able to self-direct your learning is more and more. So it's really interesting that you just mentioned the value proposition and that actually drawing the best graduates because One thing I wanted to throw in the mix, which I saw this week, was a company called Guild Education, I believe they're called, in the States. And they're a unicorn-level company, female-led, and they basically offer education as a benefit. So, you know, partnering with universities to offer Starbucks employees, you know, the ability to improve themselves as they work. I just wondered, Joe and, and Jacob, whether you're sort of seeing that. Completely, and I think it's quite a distinctive thing about this vocational space, actually, that the benefit we offer to, to the learner, when done right, it also should create a business benefit. And so that creates all sorts of opportunities for interesting business models. So learning as a benefit or learning, for example, in, a, in an employment agency model as a loyalty scheme. How does that integration of the benefit to the learner and the benefit to the business mean that you, you can move out of state pay or consumer pay or just employer pay and mix up those business models? 
I echo also what Richard was talking about. Learning in the flow of work is something we've uh, very much adopted and, and that we kind of build our product towards, to making it highly accessible and, and, and engaging and kind of at the point where you need it. And we work across very different use cases that touches upon both, in, uh, I guess, the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation of working with Uber and training their drivers, where it's something either they have to do or if they do it, they're going to make more money. So that's pretty clear what, what you're doing. And then also we're working with Deloitte. And with Deloitte, it's, it's obviously a very different, a different need, I think. And the motivation is slightly different. In, in both cases, what combines them, the way I see it, is more self-paced in the flow of work, as, as Richard is saying. Even though the, the roles are so very different, people are not so very different. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well, because there's probably here that people here that are working in online education. And what I found really interesting about what you do is, you know, working with companies like Uber, which have huge remote working or distributed teams, and the challenges around that versus perhaps traditional training, which is in a physical room. And the sort of next question was really thinking about lots of people here from higher education. They're told, you know, the future of education is changing. Um, we need to retrain also within the university. So from your experience working with different organisations and from your experience from a, a sort of growth mindset or sort of psychological point of view as well, how would you advise the people here about you know, how to start that journey of reskilling or upskilling or if they are also in charge of colleagues that may need to do that. Any tips on actually starting that process? Yeah, so a lot of the work we do when we're thinking about how we help people develop their mindset and skills for innovation ventures, for example, the first thing we start with is helping them understand what their mindset is, and that's at the level of kind of the belief. So that's where Carol Dweck's work looks at, the level of the belief and how that impacts how you think about your yourself and your abilities, but also how likely you are to set courageous goals and actually action them, and then learn from that whether or not it, it, the outcome was achieved, focusing on the process. So that's one element. The other thing that we do, which is a really powerful exercise, is actually getting people to understand where they spend their time. So a really super simple exercise, which is, you know, draw a pie chart of your week. Where do you spend your time? Is it eight hours sleeping, eight hours working, eight hours having fun? And then everyone laughs because they're like, yeah, right. You know, that's never what my week looks like. But actually, everyone has the same amount of time in a day, right? And so one of the things we get people to focus on is where do you spend your time right now, your reality, and actually what would you like to spend your time on? And because one of the key reasons why people say they don't engage in innovation is because of time. And that's also the same reason why they say they don't engage in learning. So, you know, we've done a lot of reports about Burst In by Deloitte Research Hub, which showed that at least in the US market, employees spent on average only 20 minutes on learning a week. Right? And actually, when I went out, and you know, I've spoken to people because I do a lot of storytelling in the firm, you know, maybe 5,000 people in the last year, and I asked that question, and most people come up with not far off that response. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to also understand that where we live now, there is so much going on in the world that people's focus is, is, is actually um, spread over so many things. And one of the key themes when we do that exercise with people is they realize they don't have very clear intentions with their time. And I think that's the massive opportunity here is identifying where are those opportunities where you have dead time or inefficient time. That's where you can be actually maximising your learning. Podcasts, they're great for saving time. So you, mock to, you can do your ironing and, and, and listen whilst you uh, learn. 
It's my podcast plug. <laughs> Jacob, have you got any additional? So actually just this kind of, we, we do something we call an energy audit or started doing in the company. I don't know if you've done the same. It's very similar to how do you spend your time and it's maybe you print your last week's schedule straight out of Outlook or whatever, your Google calendar. You take two markers, a green one and a red one, and then you mark all of your slots in the week of what gives you energy and what drains you of energy. And you'll see if you have a little red, you want to go for like 75% green at least to get into the zone where you're performing the best and, and, and feeling the best. And if you can get rid of a lot of the stuff actually where you don't have to be, you can then spend that time on, on, on things that you, you will benefit from even more. I'm a massive fan of deleting meetings that yeah. are necessary. Anyone else not like meetings that much? Probably about half the room. So the big question, what is the role of technology in workplace learning and the future of work? Richard, would you like to jump in? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) I think it should all be about the education. We always say this, but actually everything we do is about improving the skills, the knowledge, the expertise of of our workplace learners. But I think technology, particularly in a workplace context, has a huge role to play because we don't have the luxury of being able to take people into a lecture theatre or into a classroom to do interventions and training and things like that. So actually being able to put that learning into the flow of work through the use of technology is a huge win for us. So when we're talking about this, I guess I'm talking about there's the the data analytics side, that's key, because we're doing a lot of work with XAPI, the Experience API at the moment, trying to track all those sort of micro-learning interventions that we do. So whether somebody's passed or failed a quiz or or those kind of things, being able to track that sort of learner's journey to competence so that they have a single unified record of training, and that's fundamental, really, of what we're trying to achieve. And as I said earlier about that transition from higher education into the workplace, that's one of the ways we can do that through technology to ease that transition. But I also think in terms of the way that we deliver education and training, there's huge opportunities with technology Again, virtual reality is sort of becoming more and more mainstream in the work that we're doing. So a lot of clinicians' time when they're training is through simulation-based education. So things like, traditionally that would be wet tissue or with simulation mannequins and things. So the one we're all familiar with is Rosassiani, being able to do chest compressions on that. But actually, some really sophisticated, exciting simulators out there. They're really expensive, eye-wateringly expensive in some cases. So the VR has a huge role to replay in sort of replacing that. And actually, we've, we've seen today in one of the other sessions about holographic projections and things. Things like that are really going to be game changers in the way that we deliver education to, to our workforce in the future. So absolutely, yeah, technology has a, a really exciting future. Would you like to jump in next, Catherine Neal? Yeah, we've, um, well, we've had quite a lot of conversations recently about the intersection of technology and um, health at our firm we actually hosted a session with mind and somerset house on their 24 7 exhibition which looks at it because you've kind of got this paradox where technology if you ask people you know does it create more distractions yes but then you ask the same people the question you know has technology enabled people to access education much more easily um, and and be more inclusive well the answer would also be yes and so and so there's this opportunity but also the risk at having everything done through technology and not and losing the human side of interaction and, and empathy and connection. And so I think one of the platforms that does this really well, which I just did a um, NHS leadership course on actually, School for Change Agents, yeah. uh, is FutureLearn. And, and what they have is micro-learning, um, but also a community built around it. And I think if you can find a way to 
use a technology which is scalable, but also that helps create community at the same time so you're not doing learning on your own. I think that has been one of the most powerful things I've seen in terms of access to learning. And we've been using that kind of, I guess, approach in, internally in our firm. So we've moved away from classroom-based, significantly huge reduction to much more technology-based. And that's why, you know, we're partnering with companies like Ajumi to think about how we could deliver learning in different ways. It's really interesting because I think, I mean, we saw the evolution of MOOC's presentation from Simon at Future Learner earlier. I think in the beginning it was like, you know, everything's going to be online and it's going to be very efficient. And now I think you're seeing online learning evolve to be, not to optimise as much. So it doesn't have to be as fast, but it must have that kind of embedding motivation and, and community and engagement and feedback. And so it's sort of working out where it's, it's sort of the next evolution will be, I think. So it's interesting. Um, Joe, investment trends in this space? Yeah. Well, when I think about our portfolio of organisations and projects that UFI has funded, I, I sort of think about it in, in three ways. Firstly, where is innovation taking place that enables you to do things you couldn't do before? So using computer vision to recognise objects, whether that's recognising a machine tool in, in an engineering workshop so that learners can have access to the instructions to that machine at the point they need it, or whether it's recognising a fire extinguisher and telling that learner that that is different to a fire exit if their English is not at the level where they've got that critical vocabulary. So computer vision, example of doing something you, you couldn't do uh, another way. Then there's something about bringing access and the whole, you know, we, were, we were just talking um, about mobile-based learning, but, but actually in, in roles where actually access to learning has been profoundly difficult, like mobile care workers, we have a project called CUPPA that gives bite-sized bits of, of learning to care workers as they are in the field and going from job to job and, and can do a bit of learning over a CUPPA. Um, and that's enabled by mobile technology. And then, of course, changing the economics of how learning works. So for, for things that would otherwise be extremely expensive, like how do the police train their staff in riots? Well, you either have to recruit a whole load of people to simulate a riot or perhaps you can expose police officers to riots in VR, yeah. which is radically cheaper and, and much easier. And then you can tweak the scenarios, tweak the scenarios. and yeah. 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 Um, So do things you couldn't do, bring access where you couldn't change your economics. Brilliant. And mm-hmm. Jacob? Yeah, you know, this is dear to my heart. Like we mentioned before, working with Uber, and Uber seems like this, it's this huge company. They have four million drivers all over the world. And obviously the only way to reach them is through their mobile phones if you want to train them. But then it's very easy to see them as this kind of anomaly, but it's this new type of gig on-demand company, but we're still working in a different way. And then, in fact, 2.7 billion people, or 80% of the working population, are deskless. So that would be a lot of people in NHS, or a lot of people at Deloitte as well, to an extent. It's not the typical audience you think of. They're not sitting in front of a desktop computer, or even meeting other people on a regular basis in that sense. So you have to find a different way of, of reaching out to them, of delivering, and engaging them when they have many conflicting things going on at the same time and spending 20, 25 minutes on learning uh, during the week. How do you then cater to this? And so it's, it's, it's already here, and technology is already here, and if we don't do anything, we're not doing what we should do and what we can do uh, for people to, uh, to learn. And there is a new demographic moving into the workforce of, of millennials and, and Gen C. In just a few years, it will be 75% of, of the workforce will be millennials who value 
different things to us. One of the things they value is learning in uh, the workplace. Those are used to doing things in a very different way. As they've grown up with their mobile phones or whatever technology it is and, and social media tools. So you also have to think about how you deliver content or information and knowledge that it replicates what they're used to. That's going to drive both completion and retention rates. And so with Uber, I'm just imagining like a learning scenario. They, they operate over many different territories. So is it sort of compliance and regulatory updates or what's the actual kind of learning that's sometimes going on with them? So now it's a very broad spectrum. I think the most interesting thing that we're, I don't know if I should be talking about now, which we're launching in the next couple of days, which is a very interesting and very large experiment. Yeah, definitely talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more about behavioral change and making this programmatic. So it's based on basically actions and metrics on how they perform in their job and then delivering at the very right, the very, very moment when it would make the most sense. So this has happened. Right. Why don't you do this and learn more about how to do things in a better or different way or, or more of the same? Okay. And then you tie that back into the outcome. So it's, it's extremely tied up with then seeing a behavioral change. We do, a lot of, we do a lot with frontline. Frontline is interesting. I forgot to say before, anyone in retail uh, or, or frontline where you can see an immediate impact of what you do and you can apply something. So you learn something. It could be learn more about a product or how to deal with customer service, whatever it might be, quality. Then you learn in the moment and then you go out and you apply it. Fantastic. So to round off, we've got five minutes. I always ask our guests on the podcast what your favourite people, projects, books, any kind of resources you'd like to share with people here who are listening in. So, yeah, anything you'd like to share, and we've probably got time for about one each or two if you're quick. Okay, I'm going to have more than one (laughs) if that's okay. (laughs) So I think just to pick up on Catherine was saying earlier about social learning, the impact of that, I don't think you can underestimate the, the power of Twitter and networks like that. There are some fantastic people that we work with in the NHS. We're genuinely the most passionate, amazing workforce on earth. But there's a fantastic community I want to give a shout out to, We Communities. So Nick and Teresa Chain run this this network called We Nurses, We AHPs, We Doctors. These are communities of practice where people share discussion topics and learn from each other. So a really powerful network. There's another guy, if you're interested in um, sort of medical technologies and where things are going, there's a chap called Bercy Mesco, really good guy to follow he's a medical futurist so he's got the big trends in clinical things that are coming so he talks about ultrasounds doing full body selfies and things like that but these things are coming and we need to look at how we we educate that workforce and keep them keep them up to date with all of those things that are going on so some really great uh, social communities out there i would probably say a book i'd recommend is new power by jeremy hymans and what it talks about is this kind of dynamic where because we have access to digital platforms that actually the people that will succeed in this world are the people who can mobilise the most and that's through peer interactions and networks rather than what they call old power which, you know, one isn't bad or good it's just that they're different old power is about holding information, knowledge close I like to think of Alan Sugar and then the new version of like a non-hierarchical boss because The Apprentice yes, blows my yes. mind why are we still like I know, and promoting know, that holding as the way up. that that's yeah. how people work 
I know. So I'd, Sorry, that, Alan. So, I'd, um, so they're on Twitter. They have a website, amazing book. And that's where I found out about Helen Bevan, actually, who's the Chief Transformation Officer at NHS and runs a school for change agent. So linked to that Future Learn, I found that platform fabulous. And then I guess some other virtual mentors like the entrepreneur space, Tim Ferriss, I do a lot of. He's a wonderful curator of podcasts, has some fascinating people on there, from entrepreneurs to activists, all sorts. So I think those are probably my three. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so two thoughts from me. Firstly, I, I really want to mention Kindly, who are a, a company that, that we work with. And for me, they kind of exemplify the, the sort of future of, of vocational technology in a really great way. So they provide a software that helps small childcare businesses to run their businesses really, really efficiently. But their view is that the best way to deliver really great outcomes for children in those childcare businesses is by supporting the childcare practitioners to increase and develop and maintain their skills. And so the way they've designed their technology at every touch point has an opportunity for people to practice, develop and learn skills and best practice. And so I think that, you know, that captures kind of the, the potential of vocational technology. Um, the other thing, if you're looking for something fun to read, uh, a project called Readable, who have created a whole series of short novels in chat format. This was a format that was quite new to me, but it's particularly helpful if you're learning English and um, you want to read, read for pleasure, but with a, a restricted vocabulary. So readable, um, fun, some quite silly stories in there, which you might enjoy. I'd say in the learning space, we've been very inspired by Josh Burson, who founded Burson uh, by Deloitte, and who's now, I guess, branched out on his own a little bit, learning the flow of work. I think is, is one of his things and uh, just hugely influential, uh, I think, and uh, inspiring and, and got a good kind of global view on, on what's happening. For another podcast, in addition to Sophie's, I listen to Freakonomics. I find that is hugely entertaining and always uh, attacking things from, from different, different sides and interesting problems. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to time. So it just leaves me to say uh, thank you to our guests. If we give them a round of applause. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening in. For further reading around this week's chat, go to theedtechpodcast.com where we list out all the resources mentioned by our guests.